Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles, you're going to be pretty busy. I don't know how you're going to read all of this, but we plan on covering Genesis chapter 37 through 50. So it's only 13 chapters and we'll end up, if you want to pre-mark your Bibles, to Romans chapter 8. Did you guys have a good weekend? I had a great weekend. How many of you, just a show of hands, how many of you here have ever been disappointed? Some of you on the way here. In fact, when you saw someone's seat, their uh, picture on the seat, the seat was saved. They saved your favorite seat. Some of you came to church tonight totally disappointed. Well, tonight we're going to talk about a dreamer. A guy who knows well what it means to be disappointed because he, the way that he started out was not the way that he finished, thank God. But he had no idea what God would do with him. I can remember as a young boy, for the longest time, I could see myself with a pony. Any of you ever have that similar kind of dream, you know? I watched all the Western movies, and I kind of got the John Wayne swagger down a little bit, you know? And I'm thinking, all I need now is not a a horse, but just a pony. My dad rode horses. All I needed was a pony. My dad used to love to go to auctions, and so finally one day he drove up to the house with a horse trailer, and he came in and said, Dave, come outside, I got something for you. So I walked out, and it was my very own pony. It was like the American dream. Every little boy wants to have a pony. Well, I had one. So we saddled him up, and I was a little bit short. I wasn't that big at that time. I think I was six years old. And uh, so I got up on the fence that we had around our house, jumped on the horse's back, and... I clicked just a little bit, not much. And he took off running as fast as he could. He first tried to clean me off with a low-lying branch, and that didn't make it. So eventually he swerved back around and pitched me off onto our fence, which was made out of cinder block and mortar. And I busted my face and pierced the front of my lip with my bottom teeth. Needless to say, I was disappointed. (laughs) Very disappointed. He said it goes like this. We're told, don't get your hopes up. However, we all get our hopes up. We all expect things that just, we want them to turn out just the way that we expect. But disappointment progresses like this. You expect something good. It doesn't turn out the way you expected. You feel shocked, surprised, or hurt, and man was I hurt, and you feel cheated. Needless to say, I really didn't have a desire to get back up on the horse. I did one more time just to please my dad, but we sold it to a neighbor kid who got hurt really bad, and I bought myself a bicycle, and so now I've kind of stayed away from the equine, and I I like motorcycles a little bit better. They seem safer. There are three stages, I would say, in a a leader's life. And I want to qualify what I mean by a leader. When we think of leaders, we think of 
you know, very strong, powerful people. In fact, uh, one of the most famous beloved leaders in uh, Christianity today in, in our nation is Billy Graham. In fact, uh, Pastor Skip brings you greetings. Uh, he wants everybody to know that he's praying for you and he misses you tonight. But he's been asked to be a part of the celebration of the dedication of the Billy Graham um, Library. So he's out there uh, taking care of that right now, but know that his thoughts are with you. But when you think of a great leader, you think of someone like that, or maybe a president, or, or some famous person. But I want to qualify this to say that I believe that leaders are often found in the most common of places. In fact, as I look throughout this room, you may not believe this or not, but I believe that, that I'm looking at a lot of leaders. And here's why I say that. We have influence on someone's life. You do not live in a bubble. You're connected to other people. And there are some people that you're looking to for leadership. But you know what? My guess is right now that there's someone in your life who's looking to you for leadership. And because of that, I I really want us to focus on this guy, Joseph. And here's why. Because Joseph, I believe, is one of the prime examples of how God builds a leader. How God builds the life of someone who really makes an impact in their world. I've defined three stages of a leader's life. First, there's preparation. That involves humiliation. It's a time to grow. Thirdly, there's pla- second, there's placement. That is a time of elevation to a position of influence, a time to work and to serve. And then finally, toward the end, there's perspective, wisdom, hindsight. That is 2020. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our study tonight. And we thank you that you have given us your word. We so love your word. Each week to come back and to be fed and to spend time just going over the principles that you've given us, Lord, is so amazing. And we're very thankful. Lord, we're thankful what you've done with us so far in our lives. You've brought us to this point. But Lord, as we look to your word, we always look to be transformed and to change and to, to be challenged. So, Lord, we pray that tonight as we look at the life of Joseph, that you would challenge us with who he was, with his very life, Lord, with the impact that he made and what you did with him was so powerful. We pray, Lord, that the lessons that you taught him would be lessons that would be transferred to us so that we could live dynamic lives leading many to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, preparation. A time of humiliation, a time to grow. In chapter 37, we see an early life of this dreamer. He didn't start out so well. He was the 11th son of Jacob. He grew up in a family that had multiple moms. Yes, folks, there was polygamy. Now, he also happened to be the son of the favored mom. The mom that dad loved best. And to top it off, he happened to be 
dad's favorite son. In fact, his dad had made for him a coat of many colors. You've heard Joseph and his coat of many colors. Well, actually, it would, could be better translated coat that has long or open sleeves that somehow would let everyone know that there was a sense of authority or something unique about him. And it was very common in that day for someone like this to have a coat like that presented to them by their father meant that there was a special love that the father had for his son. To top it off, didn't make matters any better in family relations. God had a special relationship with this young man. So much so that he would speak to him in dreams. But being a young boy... Being a young man, he didn't know how to keep his mouth shut. And so he shared these dreams with his brothers. Here's the first dream. The first dream is he comes into his friends, his brothers and says, Okay, um, guys, I had a dream. Okay, tell us your dream. Multicolored, you know, fancy coat guy. Tell us your dream. Dad's favorite apple of his eye. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> well, I had a dream that we had these bundles of grain. Out in the field, and I had my bundles, and you had all of your bundles, and all of your bundles bowed down before mine. You know what? This kid's starting to bug me a little bit. Then he said, well, hey, wait, it gets better. I had another dream. The other dream is, is that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And at this point, even dad stepped in and said, hey, hey, son. I think you're kind of taking this a little far, don't you think? I mean, am I and your mother going to bow down to you? Come on. But he, he came by it honestly. So as it happened, his older brothers were out working in the fields and working, uh, taking care of uh, the herds, the flocks. And uh, the flocks were at Shechem, but they had moved them to Dothan. Now, they're currently camped in Hebron. And so he sends them up there. And, and from a far way off, one of the brothers sees him and says, Oh, look, here comes the dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. And immediately the plot starts to thicken right away. They say, Well, what are we going to do? Well, one says, well, Let's kill him. No, 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 we can't kill him. It's not a good thing. Well, yeah, let's just kill him. Get rid of him. Be done with him. And one of the brothers steps in and says, don't do that. You know, you can't do that. Just let's throw him in a pit or something. And so finally, one of the other brothers steps up and says, look, we can't kill him. But this is what we'll do. We will take off his cloak. We'll throw him in a pit. And we'll sell him. And so there was a group, a, a, tram, a caravan coming by, a group of Midianites. And they sold him to them. And off he goes. Well, they have to go back and tell dad. Now imagine having to tell dad the story. So they come up with a, a, a plan to, to, to dispose of the evidence. They take his multicolored coat, his coat with long sleeves, and they cut it up and they take an animal's blood and they spread it all over it and they take it back to the dad and say, Oh, we found this. And Jacob's heart was broken. Jacob's heart fell as he thought, Oh, my son. The apple of my eye is dead, has been torn to pieces by wild beasts. At this point, you have to ask a few questions. Why would God allow this to happen to such a promising young man, a young man to whom he gave a vision for his life? Secondly, why would God allow such pain to come to his father, Joseph? And surely God knew that this event would be discouraging 
to Joseph. It's at these points in time in our lives when bad things like this happen, when life all of a sudden gets real. You know what I mean? Everything's going along fine. You're looking through the paper. You're looking for the sale items. You know, just kind of living a normal life, drinking your coffee. And then something tragic happens. And all of a sudden, God has your full attention. And you begin to ask these questions. Wait a minute. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? I mean, you gave me a vision of my brothers bowing down to me. And all of a sudden, I'm sold as a slave, thrown into a pit and shipped off to Egypt? Come on. Come on, God. What happened to the original vision? Was that vision really from you? And and where I want to take you tonight is this. Many of you have a vision of what God would do with you. And yet where you are right now is saying, man, whoo, that seems a little bit different than what I had originally planned. Hang on, brother. There's hope. One of the important things that happens in the life of a leader is the death of a dream. God's or life's disappointments are often God's appointments. I found a little story about a fellow by the name of Oswald Smith. The year was 1920. The scene was the examining board for selecting missionaries. Standing before the board was a young man named Oswald Smith. One dream dominated his heart. He wanted to be a missionary over and over again. He prayed, Lord, I want to go As a missionary for you, open a door of service for me. Now at last his prayer would be answered. When the examination was over, the board turned Oswald Smith down. He did not meet their qualifications. He failed the test. Oswald Smith had set his direction, but now life gave him a detour. What would he do? As Oswald Smith prayed, God planted another idea in his heart. If he could not go as a missionary, he would build a church which could send out missionaries. And that is what he did. Oswald Smith pastored the People's Church in Toronto, Canada, which sent out more missionaries than any other church at that time. Oswald Smith brought God into the situation and God transformed his detour into a main thoroughfare of service. So the training begins. So the training begins in Joseph's life. He sends him off and he is bought by the chief guard of the house of of Pharaoh, a guy by the name of Potiphar. And immediately he has a time of humiliation. From the favored son, he is now a slave. Like to read to you 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Humiliation and being humbled is not necessarily a bad thing. For many of us, though, at times we think, gosh, it's the worst thing. I can't. I'm so humiliated. How could this have happened to me? When actually it may be the exact appointment of God to change your life, to make you into the person that he's designed you to be. Not only was he humbled as a slave, but he had training in service. Interesting way that things work out in his life. 
It says in every situation that we'll go through tonight, we find that God blessed his efforts. In fact, he worked hard in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar had such confidence in him that eventually he placed everything under his care. I love what it says in Proverbs, verse 22, 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And in Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. It says that Potiphar did not worry about anything. He was such a good servant. Why is this important? Later on in his life, he will become one of the major leaders in the world. He becomes a very pivotal character in the survival of the Nile Delta and surrounding areas. God uses him at a very critical time. And we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But here's here's the process. If a man doesn't understand how to be humble and to serve and to work hard, how will he ever serve a greater group of people? The best leaders... The best governors, the the most beloved that we know of in history are those who carefully understood the plight of the people and they sought with all of their power and ability to meet the need of the people. He also had training in temptation. You know, it's something that everyone has to go through. I was talking to one of our pastors tonight, Pastor Allen. He said, you know, one of the problems I have with Joseph is he seems so perfect. Well, I I have to believe, you know, we discussed this. It's, you know, you see one of those people. But I have to believe that there was a struggle deep inside of him that everyone has to deal with. And for men, it says here, it was very good looking. And so he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife, who was kind of, you know, kind of a kept woman, must have been kind of a trophy gal. Her husband worked all the time in exec in Pharaoh's office. And there she is sort of lounging around the palace. And he's good looking. And he's a nice kid. And she finally says, hey, come on. Come sleep with me. You know. And she keeps at him. Very persistent. Until finally she grabs his cloak and he just he runs out. He got, I'm out of here. He leaves his shirt behind. And so insulted was she that she called in the guards and said, look what this Hebrew has done. He's come here to mock us. He attempted to rape me. And when Potiphar heard of it, even though he loved Joseph, he immediately had him thrown into prison. Joseph was a guy who prospered in the midst of suffering. In fact, the latter part of chapter 39, verses 19 through 23 we read that as soon as he gets into the jailer's place, what happens? Well, the jailer loves him. And he immediately puts him in charge of all that he does. And he is elevated to the person who runs basically the jail under the jailer. Because God's hand was consistently upon him. Here's a question for you. Let's just take a little time out. Where are you right now in your training? What is the position that God has you in? Are you in that place where you've reached your apex, you're serving at your maximum, you're where God has placed you? Are you in a time of training? And how are you doing in your current assignment? Everyone responds differently to the call or the assignment that God has given them. 
However, our response to the Lord's assignment tell us much about the condition of our own heart. When he commands, here's a question. When he commands, do you do it? Well, I don't know. I don't like that job. And if he asks you to do a job or puts you in a particular place, do you do it with joy or do you complain about it? And if we refuse to serve him, what does that tell us about ourselves? Sometimes we might say, well, I'm too, I'm too good for this assignment. Are you crazy? Come on, Lord. I mean, look at all the talents I've got. You got me over here doing this? I'm in a prison? I mean, what about that dream? I have my brothers bowed down to me, and I'm sitting here serving in a jail. But yet, he responded correctly, and he did what he was supposed to. Here's why. The faithful servant of the Lord sets his agenda aside and does his master's will, placing him above his own desires. Somehow, some way, he maintained a relationship with God, so much so that he even prospered In a very negative situation. Verse 23, I'll read it to you of this chapter, says, The keeper of the prison did not look to anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. The Lord made it prosper. All right. He learns, he prospers, and then he has brought an opportunity. When you're in a hole, when you're in a pit, when you're in a prison, all you want is just a break, a possibility of doing something different, a possibility of getting out. Pharaoh had a butler who was a cup bearer. He was the guy who was close confidant to the king or to the Pharaoh. And he had a baker. He got mad at both of them and he threw them in prison. While they were in prison, They had a dream. Both of them had a dream and they were disturbed. And so they got up the next day and Joseph said, what's the matter with you guys? Well, I had a dream. So the butler, the cupbearer, tells him his dream. He said, yeah, I saw three branches. There were grapes. I took them. I squeezed them into the cup and I gave them to the king. And he said, here's the interpretation of your dream. After three days, you'll be restored back to your position, serving the king as you did once before. The baker liked the interpretation of that dream. And so he told him, he said, hey, here's my dream. You tell me what it means. And so he told him the dream. The dream was this. He said, I had three baskets on my head. And uh, they were full of of goods and and breads and baked products. And uh, the birds of the air came and they began to feed out of these baskets. And so Joseph tells him his interpretation. He says, this is the interpretation. After three days... The king will have your head, and you'll be dead. Thanks for the thanks for the encouragement. Can I get a, a another take on that? Can I get an answer just like the other guy? No. Well, three days later, it was the king's birthday. He let the guys out. The cupbearer was restored back to his position, and the baker was hanged that day. It was fulfilled perfectly. To what God had told this young man. However, back in verse 14 of chapter 40. When Joseph was speaking to the cupbearer, he said, listen, just do me a favor. When you're restored to your job as the main confidant of the king, would you tell him about me and tell him that I've been put in here unjustly and get me out of this prison? Well, in chapter 41, 
we find that it is two years later and he is still in that hole. He's still in that prison. My assistant found an interesting article. I'd like to read it to you. It comes from the American Forces Press Service. It's about a story of a POW by the name of Giles Norrington. He had spent in a POW camp four years, ten months, and nine days in a Vietnamese POW camp. He and other ex-POs, POWs, were treated like American heroes, but he added, we were not all that brave. He goes on to tell his story. There were times I could have died a happy man, but there was never a consideration of wanting to die. Praying for death or considering killing myself, Norrington said, suicide wasn't a part of the equation for any of us. There was never a time when I didn't believe I would come home. The thing was to come home with your honor intact. He said the POW's motto and way of life was return with honor. Shot down during a bombing mission in May 1968, Norrington said he received severe burns to both hands, leg, and the back of his neck, that he couldn't fully close his hands for at least a year. Initially, the North Vietnamese captors threw him into solitary confinement in the infamous Hanoi Hilton POW camp and used his wounds to intensify his pain and suffering. He says, quote, They used every kind of torture that can be inflicted. Injury, Norrington said. They abused my wounds, beating and things of that nature. He said in addition to bad treatment, nutrition was poor. He said we ate some of the most detestable, tasteless things imaginable. He said the first year was most difficult because Norrington had heaped enormous guilt on himself. He said... It wasn't my fault, but I sure felt that it was that I was shot down. I was learning lessons from the beginning to the end, he noted. Faith in God, faith in our country, faith in the constitutional underpinnings, faith in one another, and faith in yourself were the things that sustained me. He said prayer was a very important component. Sometimes Norrington prayed for hours during his captivity. I discovered in lengthy prayers, it's a little like poetry, he said. It reminds you of the glory of the nature of God. He said, God hears all prayers and answers all prayers. But sometimes, and he can tell you from experience, the answer is no. Sometimes it's not yet. And sometimes it's wait and see. I don't know what road I would have walked had I remained free. I don't know what changed, but I can say when I came out, I was different from the person that went in, he said, of his nearly five years as a POW. I had a greater appreciation of life and the wonderful freedom. Among them was a perfect willingness to depend on others besides me and allow that person to depend on me. Prayer helped me get through a lot of these times, and it still does, Norrington said. To be forgotten and alone in a prison is a terrible thing. And so that's where Jacob was. And for some of you tonight, you're thinking, man, God, have you forgotten about me? Remember that dream? And it sure looks different than the the beginning, but where are we now? What is going on now? 
Listen, there are lessons to be learned from suffering. First of all, suffering is the only way we really grow. Muscles are built. Now, there are many, many muscles built here, except maybe there's a... I've heard of a tabular muscle. It's a table muscle in my life. By sort of destroying and stretching and tearing, and in the, as, it, as it tears and it breaks down, it builds itself up stronger and stronger. So it is with our lives. Hard, trying circumstances build growth and character in us. I love the words of Helen Keller, who had spent uh, a life, a very amazing life. Many of you know the story of Helen Keller, but she was both deaf and mute. She was blind, and she she couldn't speak, and just really a, a tough life, but an amazing story. She said, although the world is full of suffering, it's also full of overcoming it. She went on to say that character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. For the leader, it develops integrity, it grows us spiritually, it tests our character, and it prepares the mind and the heart for leadership. Because the the day is coming for Joseph very soon when he will stand before Pharaoh, the king of the world, literally at that time. He will stand before him and say, God has answers for you. And were it not God's sustaining power during that time of trial, he would never be able to say that. Some of you feel lost right now thinking, man, what is God doing with me? But let me just tell you this. God is never late. God isn't wandering around the house up in heaven and saying, oh, oh I forgot about so-and-so. <laughs> you okay? Wow, sorry. We're kind of busy up here. I don't know if you've seen the prayer list lately. It seems to be really popular. Never will that be said. He moves to placement. It's two years later, and the king has a dream. In chapter 41. He's laying in his bed at night, and he has two dreams. The first dream is about fat cows. And he sees them coming out of the river. And there's seven fat, plump cows. And then he sees seven scrawny, really ugly, very malnourished cows coming out of the water. And these cows, the malnourished, skinny ones, eat the fat ones. Talk about a bad dream. That's a weird dream. I I couldn't even come up with that with milk and pizza and nothing. Then he has another dream. He goes back to sleep. He has another dream. The other dream is he has seven fat heads of grain. And they rise up and seven thin heads of grain. And the seven thin heads of grain eat the thicker heads of grain. He calls for the chief magicians. He calls for the soothsayers, the crackpots. You know, they're all around. All of the, you know, the late night television. Call me right now. I have a word for you. Or, he, you know, he calls the, the psychic channel uh, there. And none of them could give him an interpretation for the dream. And finally, the cupbearer, the butler says, Ooh, I've blown it. 
there's a guy in prison, a Hebrew, that I knew that he told me all of this stuff and I forgot to tell you. Uh, but he can interpret dreams. So the Pharaoh sent for him. And he, so he sends for him. He gets cleaned up. They shave him up. They put linen on him and send him in. And he says, I hear that you can tell secrets. The secret dreams, secret thoughts. He said, no, I cannot. But God can. God will give you the answer, Pharaoh. Which is very important. He understood that it was God's ability and God's working in his life from the beginning. It, the show was not all about Joseph. It was all about God. And he understood that and glorified God in the presence of the most powerful man in the world. So the king tells him his dream and he adds a little extra to it. He said, the, the weird thing about the dream, you know, the, 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 the skinny cows and the skinny grain, when they ate the fat stuff, they didn't get any bigger. But they looked worse. And he said, it's very simple, king. The dream is one and the same. Here's the interpretation. There'll be seven years of bounty in the land. This land will prosper like it never has before. But at the end of that seven years will begin the worst period of famine that Egypt has ever seen, the world has ever seen. So much so that the, the power of the famine and the drought will be so devastating that it will overshadow any fatness, any goodness that may have happened prior to that. And he went on to tell him, this is what you should do. God has showed you this for a reason. God showed him. And he said, you should appoint throughout the land managers or overseers who will take a fifth of all of the, the stock of all of the produce of grain during that time of, of fatness, during that time of, of, of uh, feast, and set it aside and put it into storehouses as much as you can. Then you should take someone who will oversee all of this so that the people might be saved during the coming years of famine. Here was the king's response. He said, he talked to his court. Is there anybody alive that we know of who is like this guy where the spirit of God resides and God speaks to him? He said, here's the deal. Joseph, I'm going to elevate you so high in this kingdom that the only person over you will be me. I will have the throne, but you will be in charge of everything in Egypt. Does it seem like a pattern in his life? He gets thrown into a hole, becomes a favorite servant and slave. He gets thrown into prison. He gets in charge of the prison. And then all of a sudden, it seems like he's had kind of a, a, a string of bad jobs, by the way. All of a sudden, he leaves from prison to the person who is in charge of basically rescuing and caring for the whole world. Only God can manage something like that. He now moves into what we call in a leader's life placement. A certain elevation from the dungeon to the palace. With Joseph's re revelation, God brings elevation. All of that suffering and all of that pain comes with a reason. 
I know a lot of you probably have been through, man, some tough, trying circumstances, maybe this year especially. And, and you begin to think, what is the purpose in all of this? Why do I go to church? Why do I worship God? I mean, you, look at you, Hefner. You know, they, they interview that guy like every other month. And the, here's this guy who basically flaunts against God, all of God's conventions, any sense of decency, and it just seems like he just has the best life. What about him? How come he's not suffering? We don't have to speak for him. God does with his people what he so desires. Well, he's elevated, he's given a wife, and he goes throughout the land, and he begins his job. Two years into it, guess who returns? Oh, brothers, where art thou? And... uh, Chapter 42, things get a little uh, rough in Canaan. And dad says, hey, what are you guys just sitting around here for? Don't you hear that there's food in Egypt? Saddle up the the donkeys and head out and go get some uh, food for our family. So they do. And they show up to his office because he was in charge of it all. And imagine, at this point, he looks like a total Egyptian. You know, the weird eyes painted and the, the little... Chopped off hair. You imagine he's probably learned the poise now after being in this job for two years. And his brothers show up and he recognizes them. And immediately he starts this whole little revenge process of making them uneasy. And he says, what are you guys doing here? Well, we've come to, for, to buy grain. No, you're not. You're spies. No, we're not. We're just you know, ten sons of, of, uh, this, of, of our father, and we're all from the same dad, and we just came because our family needs food. No, you're not. You're lying. All, every one of your liars, you're spies. But he takes care of them anyway. And so he says, he asks some questions because he begins to weep because he recognizes his brother. It's kind of a sad moment. He asks them a lot of questions about their family. And eventually what happens is he sends them back. He keeps one of the brothers, Simeon, sends them back and says, you come back with the other brother. His name is Benjamin. And it was his brother who was from the same mom. You bring him back and we'll give you the other brother back. Well, they go home and tell dad. And dad's like, well, you guys are just trying to ruin me. You're the worst kids ever. You lose my son, my favorite son. He's gone, and now you want to take Benjamin? Do you, why don't you just take my life from me right now? No, I'm not going to do it. But they ran out of food, and they had to go back. So Dad said, okay, if you're going to go, you're going to take some gifts, and we're going to take care of this guy, and we're going to send him some stuff. You take your brother, but you bless this guy. So he showed, they show up, and Joseph sees them. And he tells the servants, go kill an animal, prepare a feast, because we're going to eat together at lunch. They bring Simeon out. He sees his brother Benjamin. And so what happens? This is what happens. He brings them in and he feeds them at his banquet table. The next day he sends them out, but he takes his silver cup. He tells the servant, you put it in one of their sacks of grain. And... As they're leaving, one of the servants came and said, Surely someone has stolen this cup. Oh, really? None of us. In fact, we'll all become your slaves. None of us stole the cup. And so they go through from the oldest to the youngest, and they finally come to the youngest. His name is Benjamin. And Benjamin, in fact, they open up his sack, and they find the cup of Joseph. 
you're in trouble. So they head back to the palace. And Joseph is, why are you guys lying to me? What's your problem? How come you can't tell the truth? And eventually, in chapter 45, he can't hold back anymore. And he just loses it. And he tells all of the servants, all of the Egyptians, to leave the room. And he just blows it and begins to weep. And he pulls his mask off. And he says, I'm your brother Joseph. And these guys (laughs) flip out. I bet their mind just lost it. Okay, we're all going to (laughs) die. Because earlier they'd been speaking to each other in in a language known to themselves, saying, you know, this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. And he pretended not to understand them, but he understood them. He was speaking, he was speaking through an interpreter to them, uh, through an Egyptian interpreter, but he understood what they were saying. But he said, I'm not going to hurt you. Imagine the scene. All the characters where you had the brothers bitter. You had Joseph, the victim, now the victor. You had later on the father who they brought. And you had God. Many of us have similar stories. It is at that point in life where you see the big picture. That is the moment where Joseph and his brothers and the dad and Pharaoh and everyone has this big, wow, I get it. There is that moment when everything becomes clear and you see God's purpose and his hand in your life and the reasons, the things that you're going through. Vision plus process equals finished product. I'm in a remodel right now. And I'm just going to tell you right now. People warn me and I am receiving the pain of that warning. We had this vision in the beginning, but we had no idea what the process was going to be like. It has been ugly. In fact, if I can use this term, it's a biblical term. Remodeling is like hell dipped in hell. Just a little bit. You want to be a little more descript, Hades or so forth. But it's the same process. But you have vision plus process equals a finished product. And finally, the the last portion of his life, we see the perspective that God gives him. It is wisdom. Wisdom. The family's moved. Pharaoh says, look, I'm going to give your family some land. You bring them all in. You come stay with us. You ride out this famine. You bring dad here, the whole group. I'll take care of you. But eventually dad dies. And after he dies and they go through the period of mourning, we catch up to them in chapter 50. And the brothers are once again a little bit weary about their lives. They continue to watch Joseph and they see how powerful he is. And look with me at verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this day To save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Because if we do, we're going to live a little bit differently through the times of trial. We'll live just a little bit differently with a sense of hope that this thing that I'm currently going through will be used for God's glory, for His work. There's a few qualifications, though, we need to note. He said that all things work together for the good to those who are called according to His purpose, to those who love God. This passage is specifically for believers. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this passage is not for you. Things are not working out for your good. Until you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you turn to Him and ask for forgiveness of your sins and you're born of the Spirit of God, things are not necessarily at all, at any shape or form, working out for the good. But God will take the life of a believer Every bad instance, be it your own sin or someone else's sin or life's terrible circumstances, and God will shape that into an amazing life. In fact, I'll give you another equation, and here it is. God plus all things equals something greater than us. The word actually that's used here, all things together in Greek, is sunegero, which means the combination of the two to create something greater than itself. So God will take all of the all things, every event in our lives as believers, and create it for something good, for the good, for His purposes, God's plan. This is the kind of leaders we need. Joseph was a different person at the end of his life than he was at the beginning. He started out as this sort of brat, this bragging young boy. And at the end, we see a gracious ruler who is able to see the big picture. Ah, I know that you meant evil against me, but I'm not going to do anything evil against you. In fact... I'm going to do good for you and comfort you and provide for you because don't you see that it was in God's plan all along because God wanted to save many people. And I, being his servant, thankfully was used for his glory, for his kingdom. That's the real perspective. And there is a lost and hurting world that needs such leaders right now. Wherever you're at, whatever you have, if you're in the training stage, if you are in your position of influence right now, or if you're at the point to where you're wise and you're, you're sort of in the afterglow of a life and now you have so much to give to a world, whatever stage you're at, it's all about God and His glory and His kingdom and what He'll do with you. God is in control, God's plans are best, and God's plan for you is better than your own. Let's pray.
God, thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for such an amazing fellow as Joseph. Lord, I pray that you would use us to live lives so compelling, so powerful. Lord, that they would impact those around us, literally changing the course of this world. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. What sweet fellowship you've given us this evening. I pray that you'd bless them, Lord, that their lives would be a a fresh uh, stream in a parched and dry place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.